Can we give a round of applause to the Reverend Dr. Winfield Bevins? Um, Winfield's going to speak to us in a minute, but I just wanted to uh, uh, introduce him. And I've got a little picture of his family, just so you can see uh, what his family is. So that's Winfield, his wife Kay, uh, elder daughter Annabelle Susanna, 14. Elizabeth Susanna, 14. Uh, Annabelle, 12. Caroline Jane. Five? Great. Hey, I nearly got that right. You did, yeah. Uh, so they're a gorgeous family. Let's have another picture of Winfield. Okay. Hey, that's on your blog, so I just... <laughs> that's fair game. So that, that'll be more apparent later when he shares a little bit about some of uh, his story. Uh, Winfield is in the UK for just over a week um, representing Asbury Seminary, which is a theological college uh, in the US, where I am actually I'm studying. So he's my professor. Um, overseeing, he marks my essays. Have you got any favorite students on your course? Have you got, <laughs> is there anyone that just particularly stands out? That's pretty good. Uh, okay. Could you write that to the trustees? <laughs> so um, so that's, that's kind of how we uh, know each other. And then he's been uh, in the UK this week having meetings, church planting conference. You're helping with some of uh, the London team that have an assessment. And then today we're meeting some uh, Methodists in, in Harrogate and some things uh, like that. So uh, while he was here, we thought we would love to catch him. Uh, and rather than just uh, a sermon, uh, Winfield's got a great story that I thought really connects with this congregation and some of the plans we have in terms of uh, moving to Burnham and the profile of this uh, congregation, which includes families and has a kind of younger look and the whole feel of not just being a service not not just creating a church service but the whole that we're a family on a mission that we're together and that there's so many amazing things that can happen um, through that so we'd love to hear a little bit about that tell us a little bit about your uh, work we'd love to hear that and uh, just tell us whatever you think it'd be great for us to hear so over to you Good. All right. Thank you for allowing me to come and be with you. It's been, really, we've had a great week. It's a dynamic. So it's been 12 days of started preaching at St. George's. We, as Christian said, hosted a church planning conference in London. And so now I'm on the north end. And so Christian and his family have been gracious enough to, to put me up. Um, let me begin with just saying, uh, yes, I teach at Asbury Seminary. So just a quick bit about Asbury Seminary. It's... Um, it's one of the largest seminaries in the U.S., and it was really birthed about 90 years ago, kind of out of the Methodist revival, and uh, it's, it's, it's a seminary on mission. It's deep scholarship. We have Ph.D. programs. We've got M.A. programs, um, but really at the heart and the core of everything we do is this sense of deep mission, and it's a global seminary, and so at the heart of the seminary, we have over 100 denominations represented. We've got uh, more than 40 nationalities on campus, especially at the doctoral level. We have students from Africa, India, South America, really all around the world. And now we have, we call it the British invasion. There's a handful of guys that come over from England. Yeah, coming back. And so uh, a bit about my story, and I think this is where this kind of intersects with uh, what maybe the Lord is doing here through G2 is... Um, I, I tell people the Lord saved me from academia to call me back into it. And so 15 years ago last summer, I was on my way. I had, had an airline ticket. I uh, was going to start a PhD at the University of Manchester. 
and was, was coming over this way and, and received a phone call from a friend from college who said, this is going to sound crazy, but would you ever consider planning a church in the Outer Banks, North Carolina? Has anyone here ever heard of the Outer Banks, North Carolina? Okay, one person. Well, I had neither, all right? So, and, uh, so in North Carolina, it's, 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 uh, it's kind of one of the on, the, on the far southeastern side of the states. And essentially, uh, Outer Banks is an island. It's a stretch of islands. So it's, it's where the hurricanes go. You see the hurricanes when they hit the East Coast and they slap the East Coast. Well, we, we are called the bumper of the East Coast. It's like a little bumper, and so we take a beating every time the hurricanes kind of come up. And the Lord used this phone call, the way I say it, is it was a Macedonian phone call. My, my, my goal in life, I was on my way, I was going to be an academic, and the Lord said, no, you're going to actually start a new contextualized community of faith. So we went to this little place called the Outer Banks. I never got my $700 back for the airfare, so I'm still a little disgruntled with Delta about that. Um, so my wife and I, we moved with a one-year-old baby, no money, no nothing, no support, um, we knew two people, and we just moved with faith. And the two people we knew left us six months into being there. <laughs> so does that sound like fun? So it's, uh, it's, in the church planning world, it's what we call a parachute drop. And so it's the most dangerous, hardest way to plant a church. But it's what the Apostle Paul did uh, as he traveled throughout his journeys. A lot of people refer to Paul's journeys as Paul's missionary journeys. They were, in fact, church planting journeys. Everywhere Paul went, he would lead people to Christ and he would begin to build small uh, communities of faith that were family-centered, that were centered in the home, and he would leave and he would come back and check on them. And as he would come back, they, were, they would begin to grow, as the Spirit would begin to move and as people would begin to come to faith, and they begin to multiply. And really, that's how the gospel got from those early followers of Christ to us. And there's, there's a whole litany of history and all of this but back to my church planning story. So here we were. We had moved. We, we, we used a term in the U.S. called bet the farm. We, we bet the farm on this plant. And the two people we knew, did I mention, they left us six months into being there. And when they left, um, we had started in a home with five people. And the dream was really what the Lord had said is plant a church that will be a community church for the Outer Banks. And so the name of the church was Church of the Outer Banks. Our vision was an indigenous local expression of the church in and for the Outer Banks. We wanted to reach our community, uh, that, that context with the love of Christ, and we wanted the Holy Spirit to breathe life into it. And so rather than trying to come and establish a model of what worked in California or Texas, we just came and said, Lord, just it's your church. Guide us and lead us. And so my wife and I were young. We started with young people that were just hungry for the Lord, and it just began to grow. And um, one of the first opportunities opened up for us, we, we began to outgrow the home. We had uh, uh, community groups that were kind of merging around the beach. And um, one, of, one of the young ladies that was there was a fitness instructor, and she said, we should start meeting at the YMCA. Do you all have YMCAs here? Yeah, I think they originated here somewhere, maybe, maybe in London, I don't know, maybe in York. And... Um, so I went, met with the director of the Y, and she said, this is amazing what, what, what's happening in your little church. We were just growing, and she said, what if I gave you the entire Y from 8 a.m. to 1 o'clock every Sunday? I said, yeah. So we started in a, a meeting room that was about half 
this size and it had mirrors all along. It was like a workout room with like Zumba and balls and, you know, the balls people sit on. I don't even know what they call those things. And so I would be preaching where, you know, it's a great little context just like this, actually. It reminds me a lot of it. And so the young adults would be in there. They'd be looking at themselves in the mirror while I was preaching. I'd be like, hey, I'm over here. You know? <laughs> Stop looking. This is kid Ronnie. I had to, anyway, Ronnie. Ronnie's another story. So we just started this church with nothing but faith. Um, and the Lord really began to bless it. The first wave of people that came to faith were um, young adults, millennials. Um, and here's where the church really started. We had moved there. Uh, we began to grow, get traction. And a guy called me who was a, uh, not a director, but he was the vice president of a mortgage company. And he said, hey, you're, you're a preacher, so it means you probably don't drink, you know. And so maybe would you be open to being the designated driver for a 15-passenger bus of young adults, young professionals to drive them to a baseball game up in Virginia Beach? I was like, I didn't, I mean, I, I was just wanting to meet people, you know, and just make, build bridges to the community. And so anyway, I did it. And these guys were getting wasted on this, on this 15-passenger bus. I was like, oh, my gosh. And the Lord said, focus on this young, um, this young kid named Adam. And Adam was a young school teacher, is in his mid-20s, um, young married um, guy who just really kind of had it all, looked like he had it all together. And, and so we just made this kind of heart connection, and I began to build a relationship with Adam. Long story short, several months went by, uh, and Adam gives his life to Christ. He's the first person that came um, to Christ through our ministry. Um, and so from that kind of became a domino of young surfers in the, um, in the community. We began to just build these connections and relationships. And so out of the story of Adam in five years, I shared that to say this. I know the focus of this is family. I'll, I'll bring in family here in a minute. But Adam's entire family came to faith in the course of five years. So here Adam was a young adult, this guy, he had been raised in an atheist home. Like if, if, if you've ever been up north in the United States, people really hate the church up north. So like in the south, we say stuff like y'all and we drink sweet tea and we just, you know, we give lip service to church. You're like, oh, that's great, y'all. And, but up north, it's, it's a whole different ballgame. And so Adam's family came from up north. They were angry um, that Adam had come to faith. And his parents, they would mock him. Uh, they would make fun of him when they would get together for family dinners. Two years later, Adam's mother shows up at church. A little worship gathering like this. She shows up in the back and she begins to work her way forward. Well, Gret comes to faith in her late 50s. Um, a year later after that, Adam's sister and brother-in-law give their life to Jesus. Now, did I mention we lived on an island? So guess what? We did baptisms in the ocean. Like, that was awesome. We would do mass baptisms several times a year. And uh, sometimes I'd throw on wetsuits. And uh, this, this one kid that came to faith, uh, he missed the baptism because he had to go back to college. And he came back in January. I was like, I was like man, you, you missed the baptism. He's like, I know. I wish we could do it. I was like, let's do it. So we threw on wetsuits in the middle of winter. Very cold baptism. So five years uh, about five years after Adam um, gave his life to the Lord, his father, who had been an atheist, had raised Adam in an atheist, hostile home toward Christianity, gave his life to Christ. And um, when I go, I wish I had brought some pictures, but when I go back to the Outer Banks, 
I stay with Adam's parents. They became like grandparents to our kids. And um, we built our church literally on people who had no previous faith and didn't know Christ. And um, young families, uh, young adults would come in. And guess what happens? Some of you probably are like, this will never happen to me. But what happens usually in your 20s, at some point you might get married and at some point you might have children and that's what happened. All of a sudden we started with this young church and next thing I know our children's ministry was like more than our adults. And so we had like 100 kids and it's like, what are we going to do with these kids? And, and it just became this great community church on mission together. And Adam and his family were really some of those foundational leaders um, that were a part of the church. And so one of the things that we did is our whole vision and dream for the church was how do we empower the body of Christ? How do we empower people to actually do mission? And a core value that I've always had and just a core belief is that everyone has a mission. Jesus said it this way in um, John 20, he says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And so that was just a core value. That was just kind of the cornerstone of the church is that every one of us, that mission just doesn't belong to professionalized, ordained clergy, um, but to the entire body of Christ. We all have a mission. We all have a purpose. God has a plan for our lives. And so one of the things we began to identify is, as the Lord began to raise up leaders, we would say, this is a gift. This is a passion that you have. Why don't we actually throw uh, fuel on that fire? There's these little embers burning th all throughout the church. And how do we empower people to do what they're passionate about, to reach their friends, to reach their families, and to reach different sectors of the community? And so I'm also an artist. Um, another little interesting tidbit about my story is um, I had, uh, art really played a significant part of my faith journey. I had an art teacher in high school that kind of took me under her wing and turns out she was a believer. And so when we had moved to that little island, there was this alternative school. And I had shared with the principal some of, you know, my experience with art and faith. And he said, I'll just give you a whole classroom to work with kids. And in, in the U.S., there's this separation of church and state stuff that the secular schools, you can't talk about Jesus. And so the thought of an alternative school, which is basically, uh, that might mean something different to you, but it's basically a last resort school. It's where you go when you get, where there's nowhere else to go. If you don't make it in the alternative school, you're, you're out of the school system completely. And so we started this, um, this, this arts program. Several of our artists started an arts program with these kids, and the news found out about it. They gave us, um, uh, we, we were awarded volunteers of the year for the, for the school system, and a local donor came to me and said, this is amazing what you're doing with young adults and youth, troubled teens and young adults, and like, he's like, I've got this amazing space that looks like a New York City art gallery. I've always dreamt that the Lord had put an art gallery in there. He said, what if you opened an art gallery? So I'm also the founder of a nonprofit art gallery. And so there's this crazy history. Every, everywhere I've gone, the Lord will just start things, start new things, new churches and art galleries and stuff like that. And so we ran a nonprofit art gallery. And our first Friday art shows, we would rotate the art uh, every month. Hundreds of young people would come in through the doors. It was an art gallery music venue. Uh, we actually launched several young artists' careers out of that. Uh, Katie Caroline actually moved to New York. Her art actually really took off. And we were, we were the people that started her, her art career. And so out of that, we would work with the school system. Uh, we would do murals with kids, troubled kids in the school system, where they would, in, in the juvenile system, 
when you get in trouble in the court system, you have to do community service hours. And so some of these kids actually could fulfill their hours um, kind of working with us in that. We started a, uh, we had all these young musicians that just, it's like, man, why don't we pour into these young artists? And so the next crazy idea that I had was, let's start a record label. And so we started a microfinancing record label. We microfinanced five CDs for young artists. We sent them to Nashville to like record in like really nice studios. And uh, we'd line up through connections around the East Coast for them to do concerts. And did I mention I'm a surfer? So we had like surfers in the church. And so the crazy thing is, if you Google Jesse Hines, he is, um, he's, it's, it's funny, he, he was an exotic big wave surfer. He was our worship leader. So people would come to church, they'd be like, dude, Jesse Hines is your worship leader. And I was like, what is that? You know, like it didn't, well, he's been in movies. He's been on the cover of like multiple surf magazines. Turns out he's a big deal. And so Jesse Hines, you Google him, there's a picture of him like dropping in 20 foot waves. And what that meant, exotic big wave surfer is he would get paid by O'Neill to travel to places like Yemen and places of the world that had like monster swell. I never did that, so don't get impressed with me. I, I surf like little waves. Um, so I was too old by the time I had started surfing. So we started these surf camps with these professional surfers and reached hundreds of young adults in, in the community. Um, the last crazy venture that we launched, well, two, um, is, uh, was an event called Surfing for Autism. And in the United States, there's a, there's a real spike in um, children and youth who have autism. And so autism is, uh, you know, there's people on all different spectrum of autism. And uh, one of our worship coordinators, his, uh, name is, uh, his name's Mark, uh, his son Jake uh, had autism, was, was an autistic child. And Jake actually just graduated high school. And so God had given Mark a vision to reach families um, who had ch children and, with autism. And this is one of the things that just, just such an incredible vision. So all the things we did was, it wasn't stuff that I did, but it was empowering other people who had a dream and a vision. And uh, the Lord so used this guy, Mark. He was so, he's one of those guys that's at church every day that, you know, he'd back up the, you know, we had a box van. We met at a YMCA, so we'd have to back up our music and set up and tear, do y'all set up and tear down in here? I say y'all, I'm from, I'm, from, I'm from the U.S., so just go with it. Um, Mark had such a servant's heart. He ran the church. I mean, he was the guy. And he was also, I'm kind of short, and he was also like really tall and skinny. And um, So surfing for autism started with, you say, well, what is, tell me what surfing for autism is. It sounds amazing. It's where we partnered with the public school system to take children in the water who had autism. So what happens is kids with autism, if you get them in the ocean, they come alive. And there are, there are kids with autism that can't even speak and, and are kind of non-emotive, but you put them in the water and they just, they'll just laugh and they'll giggle and they'll just come alive. And so here's what we did. Year one, we took children in the water and we had them for an hour in the water and they had two special needs workers or no, they had one special needs worker, which was basically certified in the school system, and two surfers. So I was one of the surfers. I, I was like, I got in on that action. And so, so an entire day of doing that, you're coming out of the water, you're like, you know, your skin looks like rawhide, you know, I mean, you're just burnt, you know, but the joy um, to see parents 
who, um, you know, often never get an hour's break to see them, see their children in the water coming alive for an entire hour and to be able to sit back and just watch. It it has been one of the most unbelievable experiences in my life. And it happened through empowering members of the church to pursue their dream. You could Google surfing for autism, Outer Banks, North Carolina, and it has grown from, uh, I think, 20 to 30 kids the first year to an event that um, several thousand people are a part of this on the weekend. People come all throughout the East Coast. It's a two-day event now, and it, it has grown so much in popularity that we've doubled it to where we actually take the siblings, um, who ha- their brother or sister has autism. The siblings oftentimes don't get that one-on-one time, so we would take them out um, into the water. So all, all of that that I just mentioned all just happened through saying, you know what? God has a mission and a vision for every one of our lives. Every one of us can do something beautiful for God. And that that was one of my most favorite sayings of uh, Mother Teresa. She just said, you know, just offer something beautiful to God, whatever whatever small thing we have. And God places these little seeds in our heart that he'll take and use to just grow into great seeds. So out of that, uh, we also got involved with church planting. And this was the crazy thing. We were on an island in the middle of nowhere that, most only one person in a room this has ever heard of. You know, it's like one of those places. But out of that, the Lord really used this kind of approach to mission that we were doing to launch a movement of churches across the East Coast. And so we ended up planting um, around 100 churches across North Carolina and developing churches into regions to go into city centers, to go into places where there are students and uh, just, again, it's, uh, uh, Christian and I were talking this morning, it's really kind of this vision of kind of, a mission, mission-sized mission church. It's kind of mid-sized churches that are missional communities of faith that are organic but on mission and releasing and empowering the body of Christ to do mission and ministry. And so out of that came this whole crazy deal of uh, I ended up finishing my doctorate at Wake Forest, um, looking at church planning, studied with some of the leading church planning thought leaders across North America, came in, were a part of this, people you wouldn't know their names. And the Lord kind of opened this opportunity to come to Asbury out of that. And, uh, you know, here I am at Asbury at a, at a major academic institution, not as a, not as a theologian, uh, but as a practitioner. And so in many ways, said all that to say this, the dream that the Lord had originally put in my heart, he has brought to pass after 15 years. The Lord actually had given me a word of the Lord um, in 1997. I was in Peru. Uh, which is in South America, preaching in churches. I was with that. That was young in 1997. Look at me now. I'm like, look at what the years have done. So, um, and the Lord spoke to me one night. And in my whole time of walking with the Lord, there have been just very few times where the Lord has just audibly spoken. And this was one of those. And the Lord said, you are going to train ministers from around the world. And... I'd given up on that. I'd actually forgotten about that. And when Asbury had called me, the Lord reminded me, you remember that word that I gave you in 1997? So the profound thing is last year marked the 20th anniversary of the word that the Lord gave me in Peru um, to go and to, to train leaders from around the world. And the Lord 
did that and has do, done that and is doing that. And we've talked, Christian and I have talked about this. Since I've been in Asbury, I've, I've developed a non-academic kind of church planning certificate that allows us to go in major city centers all around the world. We've launched them in Africa, uh, in India, um, South America. I'm going to be going to Australia next year. We're going to launch one in Australia. We've trained 1,500 people in three years all around the world. And the Lord's word will come to pass and is true. And so I think here's where I would like to go with this is kind of, kind of a word that I feel the Lord told me, the scripture that I preached from this morning. It was a little different this morning. We were in a traditional Methodist church this morning. Um, but it's John chapter 20, verse 19. Jesus comes to the disciples and it says, uh, they were behind locked doors uh, for fear of the Jews. For Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And when he had said this and showed um, his hands and his side, the disciples were glad and they saw that they had saw the Lord. And then Jesus said, Peace be to you as the Father has sent me, I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, uh, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are to be retained. So Jesus says two things that I really want to just, just focus on that maybe for this group is Jesus says, Jesus comes among them. They were behind locked doors. And when Jesus shows up, he unlocks the doors. He opens the doors. He lets the windows open and the wind of the Holy Spirit comes in. And the thing I just kind of want to, as I kind of look at landing the plane, is that I feel that maybe for this group is that Jesus wants to say, as the Father has sent me, I send you. That Jesus has a plan for every one of your lives. He's got a mission for you. You were created for a purpose and a plan. And God uses ordinary, this is, this is I've seen it, for years, everywhere I go, different parts of the world, God just uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. He's just looking for men and women, boys and girls, people of all ages to just say, here am I, Lord, send me. And you really have in, in the leadership of G2, God, I, I do want to say this. I believe that we are in the midst of a movement a global movement that is, that is sweeping the world, um, and it's a church planning revival. And it's happening on every continent. And God is calling ordinary men and women to join in this work. Um, it's, it's an upheaval where God is kind of, some, some instances, rebirthing out of traditional churches. There's new expressions of church. There's one size doesn't fit all. Um, but God is returning. There's this return of ministry back to the people of God. And you are in the midst and a part of something much bigger than yourself. And I want to encourage you in that, that um, some of us, like Christian, myself, and others, get to see kind of a larger national and global vision of what God is doing in our day. And it's unbelievable, and it is beautiful. And so Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I sent you. And then Jesus says, says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is John's great commission. We have Matthew's gospel. It says, go into all the world, baptizing believers, making disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The great commission of John is a very personal 
Great Commission, where Jesus walks in a, in a little room, and he walks in among the, it says he walked among them, and Jesus looks at them in the eyes, and he breathes on them. He says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. It was very personal that this call of God to follow Jesus, to do um, things that are such a risk and out of the box is, it's personal. It's not just some generic call, but Jesus makes it personal and he breathes on us. Um, and as maybe as we move into a time of ministry, I wanna, I'm going to say a prayer, then I'm going to hand it back over. But as we, um, as, as we move into maybe a time of ministry, I want to just encourage and ask you to just, to just be open to what the Lord wants to do in your heart and your life. Um, some of you may think, man, I'm, I'm just in school. I don't know. What can I do? And I want to say, God can and always does extraordinary things to ordinary people. And God's got a mission and a purpose. The sentness of the gospel, the apostolic recovery of the gospel. Jesus is calling us to that tonight. And as we pray, would you just ask that the Lord would just breathe on you tonight with a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit for mission, whatever he's calling you to do. Maybe, maybe tonight is, let's just bow our heads and I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna hand it over. But maybe tonight as we just get ready to pray, maybe there's something that the Lord has put on your heart years ago. And the Lord says tonight, I wanna awaken that seed that I sowed that thing that I spoke to you a number of years ago. And maybe there's a couple of you here tonight that that's, that's a word for you, that God is wanting to reawaken that seed, that word that he spoke, that thing that he had put in your heart that maybe had died. One of my mentors uh, 20-something years ago said to me, he said, Winfield, God will, he will put a dream in your heart and let that die and go down into the ground only to resurrect it later to show you that it's his dream and not yours. So uh, for some of us, maybe that's just resurrecting that word, that dream, and seeing now's the time. For others of us, maybe we've been sensing some sort of kind of ambiguous call, and maybe tonight the Lord wants to make that specific. I received my call to ministry um, in a gathering just like this at the age of 21. Uh, there was a young African... African-American boy in, in the room that just had a word of the Lord about a call to the ministry. Um, and so maybe some of us tonight, God wants to call us to deeper levels. Maybe there's some of you that God's saying, you know what? I'm calling you to plant a church. I'm calling you to be a part of a new church plant. Maybe not the lead planter, but being on a planting team or, or something around that. So let the Lord just stir up as he breathes on you fresh tonight. But all of us, uh, could we just maybe make that our prayer to just receive a fresh wind, the breath of Jesus. Lord, God, tonight, I just ask that, Lord, you would just breathe on us. We need a fresh touch from you. We need the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit to blow. And Lord, I just pray that for every, every person that's here, um, you would just inspire us, encourage us to dream big dreams, to think bigger than what we've thought, to think outside of our box, to extend our mission and ministry, to have a vision for, to be a church that is a family on mission together, doing evangelism in community in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, tonight we just say, come Holy Spirit.
touch us. Lord, fill us fresh tonight, Lord. And I pray that you would use every one here in fresh ways. Inspire a fresh vision. God, do a new thing, Lord, in our midst. And let it spring forth in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.